Yeah, shake them up, shake them up, shake them up, shake them. Roll them in the circle of homies and watch me break them with the seven. Seven eleven, seven eleven, seven even back though, little Joe. I picked up the cash flow. Then we play bones and I'm yelling domino. Plus nobody I know got killed in South Central LA. Today was a good day. Boom. Hello, America. Hello, world. Hello, you. It is your new best friend, Cashmere, California, and this is the Pod is Good podcast, episode 30. Pod is good, and all the time, if you know, you know. If you don't, continue to listen. You will learn. Today, I have one of my friends in the studio, and this is about to be an incredible episode. This is going to be a good episode. My guy is a culinary wizard. He's one of the funniest dudes I've met out in L.A. He has a story like none other, and he's willing to share it. You got to appreciate that. You got to appreciate someone taking their personal life and sharing it with the public in hopes of possibly motivating, inspiring, or you know, helping somebody else along with their journey as they share their own. So you got to appreciate that. All right. Y'all ready? Let's go. Chef Kenny Hall. How you doing, my brother? I'm good, fam. How you doing, bro? I'm well, man. I'm well. I'm so happy to see you. Thank you for joining us. I appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you for the invite. You know, and I hope that um, everything that that comes out of here is fruitful, man. Something that uh, you know, something that uh, blesses the people who are who are tuned in. Absolutely, man. I was saying before we started, love the black and white Laker hat. You know, matching with the X Men classic graphic tee. You know, you know, I got, yeah. I got, I got, I got a little bit of swag. You know, what I'm saying for what it is. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I've been told that I'm Cali through and through, but I felt like I'm a, I'm a country bumpkin. So, you mm. know, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, you, you can't deny the Cali though. I remember the first time I met you, I was like, yo, he sound like he and West Side Connection just talking, just like if he say he about to go run to the car real quick, it sound like you. It sound like Doughboy. Saying I'm about to run to the car real quick, like that. You just, you just that got is it. so hilarious, bro. Like I promise you, I'm um, I am 38 years young, and I just found out this year that Californians have an accent. Like it uh, blew my mind, dude. Like I had no clue. And then the wife even hit it. Even even you know, I don't know how mixed and diverse her audience is, but. It's not just Californians, you know. You got the Valley accent, and then you got the Hood accent. That's so a fact. <laughs> that's a fact. I'm like, I'm like, wait a minute, like you know, I thought that was just a joke, but it's for real, dude. It's I remember for real. The first time I went to New York, I was in where were we? I think I was in Brooklyn, and you know, walk around in the projects or whatever with the people I was with, and they were like, "Oh yeah, you from California?" I'm like. How? how? How do you know? And they're like, yeah, you sound like you're from California. I'm thinking, no, you sound like you're from New York. I don't sound exactly. like I'm from anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but like that's that's our, you know, our ego almost is like, 
our ear doesn't hear it. It just thinks exactly. No, just kind of talk like normal or just straightforward with with no sauce on it. Uh-huh. You go to the south to Houston. You go to Alabama. That's when you hear they sauce on it. But nah, nah, we got it. Yeah. And it's it. funny you say that with the sauce because I'm like I'm I had to figure out just a few distinguishable you know points of what our accent is. Mm. We have a flair for the 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 bending of the the end of words, whether it's an er or you know mm. whether it's a, a, a ah or whatever. It's like I'm going over there. What? Ah. I'm going over there, but we say I'm going over there. It's not no D. Yeah. It's just we put that extra ear on it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I never you know, noticed. That. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or it's like five dollars. What dollars? <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's true. And you know they always say like accents. You can find that the what's unique about it in the vowels. Yeah, That's exactly. usually where it happens. But I guess yeah. what you can is also right that you could find it in the the softening or hardening of the consonants as well. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that's that's something that um that I've been just kind of messing with when I watch when I watch TV or you know when I listen to music, I'd be like, mm-hmm. You can even find out what part of California people are from like from the Bay, you know, like when you listen to Efeezy, you know, they have a they have a really a really tight uh, consonant sound like everything is real rigid. They don't put a lot of drag on their words, but then when you go down south to San Diego and 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 even Compton, like we slur a lot of words and we drag a lot of things out. And I'm like, mm. I'm seeing like you said, like that sauce. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting, bro. That's that's yeah. that's actually really that's like an interesting conversation, like breaking down, especially if you can actually <laughs> do the accent well. So breaking right. down like. What makes an Irish accent sound like, you know, completely different from Australian, you know what I mean? Which is completely right. different from like um, someone who's Asian that, that learns American or learns English, you know, their sauce mm-hmm. on it. That, that's, that's very interesting. Yeah. That got that nerd again, bro. Like, I need to really took a, I need to hit up your homeboy about that uh, hood nerd. Cause... Shout, out, <laughs> shout out to Brother Jamel. Brother with the hood nerd hoodies. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm gonna get his. Um, I think I might have put it in the in the description, but if not, um, I'm gonna make sure I hit him up to see if he has a place online people can grab one. Cause yeah, I dig it. I dig. I think a lot of people would. Yeah, I, I mean, like we like we first started talking, man. It, it's something that we should give shine a light on that you know, especially with our community. You know, intelligence is something to be you know proud of. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. with that, you putting a little swag on it makes yeah. it a lot. It makes it more palatable for the youngsters coming up that feels like being intelligent is something that's uh too awkward, right? You know, right? Yeah. You know, so, I, I, I I try not to do this and you know put um, pit my guests against each other, but I just thought about uh, my guy South Central conservative that's been here, and I remember like, oh y'all kind of from the same we on the way where were you raised? Me, oh, I was raised basically Compton, if you want to. Okay. It's like yeah. it was called unincorporated LA County, but right. it's in the middle of Compton, Watson, Gardena. So I'm in the I'm in the triad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was raised, I'm not sure exactly where, but South Central is kind of 
what he what he connects with, you know, mainly just the area. But I don't know exactly which city. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, he has a uh, he has some interesting views about people in the hood, uh, and and he's gotten to the point where it's it's uh, the very umbrella. You know what I mean? His viewpoints are very all of them are a certain mm-hmm. way, and so I would yeah. love. Especially with some things he said in the last episode, I would love to have him on line with an intelligent brother from Compton, and 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 you guys uh, have that conversation. I might put that together. I, I know you oh, haven't. I'm all for it. Bro. You haven't seen it, but anybody watching that has seen that last episode we did and the, the little spat we had um, dealing with some of his references to black people, I, I think that'd be an interesting conversation and a conversation well, that must be had. What's uh what's the episode? What number is it? Because I'll go back and check it out when we that get done. That was episode twenty five. Yeah, I'll go check it out. And 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 please, if if you do have any listeners now that went and grabbed their popcorn and set their date and getting their calendar ready, I'm not about you know combative you know dialogue. I'm about yeah. growth, right. but I do love to understand and get perspective. Um, yes, I'm so intrigued by what you just said already. I'm like, please, let's set that up because, um, I have, you know, with Ant, like, you know, you were saying how you were checking out his pocket. Me and him have spats regularly because he, he grew up in a, um, a structured environment that was based off of love and nurturing and, and safety. And yeah. I was, I was born survival of the fittest mm. you know so a lot of our perspectives and viewpoints we don't land on the same on the same mark but we work to get there together so right. i would love to see see where he's coming from and just to, just to kind of understand what the root is you know why he has those vantage points and why he generalizes everybody from the hood as yeah. such you know what i'm saying yeah he's I had think, he's- He's definitely had had a hard life, hundred mm. percent. Had a tough life, and he's he was in gang life. Uh, he's been to prison. Um, you know, he's he's had his you know, he's had his his wounds, and, mm. and and you feel that. You know what I mean? Like just in talking to him, you feel like there are wounds that are unresolved, and wounds that now have like, I don't know. I guess festered into bigger, almost like mm. accusational areas of his mind and heart you know what i mean yeah it's interesting you say that because prior to you know all of my mental health um i do advocate for mental wellness like mental health is something that is very um near and dear to my heart right now um because i've had to go through so much um healing through my lifetime, man. Like I've been through so many different counseling sessions and therapy sessions and groups and and small form um, components of, of addressing traumatic and and small and large issues. So yeah. I feel like with him having the pipeline to adulthood that he had versus me and my pipeline to adulthood that I had, I had a lot of people that was pulling my collar along the way that try to help me. And it seems like a lot of those gestures might have been missed on his part. Like people may not have been there to curb some of those things or, 
you know, counteract some of the things that he did go through. So, um, you know, when I was in my early 20s, man, I was a I was a tyrant. You know what I'm saying? I was ignorant to to what peace was like. And I was ignorant to what healthy thoughts look like. You know, Um, I didn't realize that those things were attainable, that I could produce a healthy mindset, a healthy lifestyle. Right. Um, so, you know, those things, those are things that I were, that I learned, um, not even, I wasn't even taught those things. Like I had to, I had to life process and learn those things. I think I was given the tools to manifest them and, you know, and to produce them, yeah. but couldn't nobody teach me how to find peace because I was living in chaos. Right. You know, I had yeah, to go. That's hard to learn. Yeah. So I had to I had to generate and create narratives for myself that were attainable through the repetition. That makes sense. That's the best teacher though. You know? Yeah, life, man. That's the best teacher. Life, bro. Um and and <laughs> and speaking of life, man, and 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 how it will puts you in position to where you it forces you to learn or it forces you to retreat um you know if i didn't if i didn't have a foundation of god i wouldn't be here bro like ain't nothing about my end game said i'll be at 38 (laughs) right you know yeah Yeah. so well let's get into it man let's get into it i know i know we got a lot to, to to talk about uh, you know, these kind of conversations always kind of hard to figure out where to start. So I want to try to start something different because normally I say like, OK, let's start from the beginning. You know what I mean? Like, how were you as mm-hmm. a kid? Yada, yada, yada. I want to start different with you. Mm-hmm. And I want to say or ask when you look at your life. What's the moment that's at the mountaintop, whether it be good or bad, like that memory it just stands out when you think about Kenny's history, Kenny's background. 2000, um, 2014, I'm laying in the hospital bed after my second suicide attempt. And it's, uh, it's one, I say 133. Because that's the that's the time I remember when I actually glanced at the clock, but I feel like it was before that. But everything just stopped. Um, everything stopped. TV stopped. Um, the monitors I was hooked up to in the hospital stopped. And our God asked me, um, "Can you hear me now?" Whoa. And um, I'm like, "What the hell?" You know, I'm sitting up here thinking I'm hallucinating. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And then, you know, he said it loud. Y'all done gave me too much medication, man. I'm, hey, right? I'm flying here. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, you know, he repeated it. Can you hear me now? And he said it's sterner, and I felt it. Like, I felt mm. my body get weighted down. And I was like, yeah. Um, he was like, so are you ready to do what I called you to do? And my initial response was like, no. Nah, I'm not about that. And he said it again. And the caveat was, are you ready to do what I called you to do? Are you ready to go? Mm. And the 
the question of if I'm ready to go shook me because I wasn't. I was just tired. You know, I was just tired of everything. Yeah. Um, why that suicide attempt came, my father, you know, had just passed. You know, I ended up, um, I'll go into that, but, you know, I found him in his car. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. it was just a real, real tragic moment. But that's the mountaintop. That's the peak wow. of where I am today is God petitioning me to walk with him versus to walk in my chaos. And when I actually say, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to do it, um, that next morning, <clears throat> the doctors came in and informed me and my wife, or at that time she was my fiance, um, they can't figure out why or how, but everything is normal. All my vitals are normal. All of the organs that were shutting down, they're back normal. Um, you know what I'm saying? My internal bleeding stopped. Like, wow. everything. Like, it was just overnight, just instantly, everything was, was back to normal. And it was just like, all right, this is my journey. So for the past, you know, soon to be 11 years, um, I mean, soon to be 10 years, I've just been on a mission to do everything I can to let everybody know that where they're at now is not where they'll end up. Mm. And so this happens at around 28. Yeah. Around 28. And and so why are you there? What got you in the hospital? So um, at that point, um, you know, I had just got out of um, a really toxic relationship a few years prior. And I met, I ended up meeting my fiance at that time during my healing um, process. And um, that January, um, I proposed to her. And I was like, all right, she's going to be my wife. She said yes. And a week after, <laughs> man, a week after I proposed to her, <clears throat> my dad had called me and was like, hey, son, um, I passed out at work, but I'm okay. Um, they need you to come and get me to take me home. So, you know, we, um, at this time, I'm living in Orange County, and my father, he's working in Long Beach. So, you know, I'll go and get him and pick him up from work, and, you know, we're talking, and we're trying to figure out what happened. And he was like, man, I just, you know, I don't know what happened. I just passed out and fell. I didn't hit my head or nothing. You know, I just was having one of them nights. So um, we took him home and, I, you know, made sure he was situated and everything like that. And he was like, you know, if I end up going to work tomorrow, I'll let you know. So he called me um, the next day and he was um, he was like, yo, I'm, I'm on my way to work. Just letting you know. And then about a half hour after that, he called me, let me know. He was like, yo, I don't feel good. I'm going to pull over. Um, I'm going to be at the, the 99 cent store that was around, it's around the corner from where he stayed. He was like, yeah, I'm going to just pull over in this parking lot. And if you can just come and get me and take me back home. So, um, like I said, I'm, I'm in Orange County and that's about, you know, a 35 minute drive right. to where he's at. Right. So when I get there, um, He's already passed away in a car, so 
Um, I pull up and I'm, you know, I hear the music playing and then he looks like he's asleep. And I'm like, hey, bro, man, just, you know, why you playing? Let's go. And I touch him and he don't move. And, you know, then I shake him a little bit and realize he, you know, he not responding. So I yank him out the car, start doing CPR and he was already checked out. And when they, um, let us know what ended up happening. He had a he had massive heart failure. Oh, so man. yeah. Um so I had we had no clue that so anything was going on. Yeah, it's all good. I that's, appreciate that's, the condolence. That's a tough moment. That's yeah. Tough moment. And the the irony in that is that day, um, you know, I was taking the family out, like I said, we celebrating the new engagement and you know we all just having a good day me uh me the wife and and our and our baby um and what what was so traumatizing about that which which i struggled with my whole life was control the fact that i had no control over that situation we didn't know he was going to be you know deceased when we pulled up so our baby was in the back seat of the car looking at everything that's going on and she's freaking out you know my my wife at that time she got to jump back in the car and try to console her while i'm you know trying to resuscitate my pops and then the ambulance and so at at the point that everything was happening i had no control and when i when i say the the most infuriating and helpless moment of my life was was there watching them put the sheet over my pops. Oh. You know? That breaks and, my heart, man. Yeah, that, it, that, it was. And it breaks my heart because, you know, I'm a dad like you now. It's like I mm-hmm. have a son. And, mm-hmm. you know, anytime I hear about a son losing their dad when they're young, even, like, it, I always go back to him. It's like, all mm-hmm. of a sudden, it's like, like, like you know, I, I straighten up on the wheel. Like, I, I got to do everything right. I cannot, I don't right. want him to have that story. You know what I mean? And yeah, so it's like, right. but, but in reality, it, it doesn't matter if you're young. You know what I mean? Like, at, at any age, especially like that, something that you didn't see coming, your dad is working, he's healthy, he's still young. It's like, you, you know, you, you're not prepared for that by, you know, at all. Like you said, you're talking to him. It's not like, not like he was on the phone, like, hey man, they they chasing me, you know, where at least you can somehow put it in your head that maybe something's wrong. You just yeah. thinking, oh, yeah, just gonna take him to the crib real quick. I shoot back, you know, probably got other things I'm gonna do. You got the, the lady and the kid in the car. We will go, don't sure, we go to McDonald's. We after we get dad, we'll go to McDonald's, you know what I mean? Exactly. And then boom, you know, your your whole world has changed. Yeah. And it was it was exactly that. Um because you know, I had already lost my mom. Um, was it eleven years prior? Wait, no, was that two thousand fourteen? Yeah, yeah. Oh three, two thousand three is when I lost my mom's. So um, <clears throat> it was it was a it was a trip, man, to to experience that. Um, because at that point. Um, like I said, I wasn't I wasn't where I am today. You know, I was still um, separating myself from the you know the 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 hood life. You know what I'm saying? Being you know being a thug and all of that. Um, it wasn't 
it wasn't, you know, this holier than thou, God is good type narrative. Yeah. You know, I'm still out there hustling. I'm still out there grinding. I'm still trying to be that guy. So um, it was like somebody snatched the rug out from underneath me and nothing else was there um, because I had nobody else. You know, Um, you know, I'm I'm only child, you know, going all the way back. Like I I started life off at a deficit. So when I lost my pops, I literally felt like I lost everything because, you know, me and my family didn't have the best of relationships like we weren't we weren't toxic with each other but we weren't you know tight-knit like we wasn't the cosby's you know what i'm saying right. you know we were more like the bundies or something if you want to <laughs> you know we tolerated each other yeah so you know it was um it was you know it was so much love there from my family but we just had so much distance to where it just didn't feel like I had them immediately after, yeah. even though they did. Like, you know, they came and swooped me up and was like, we got you. Oh. But, you know, because of that relationship dynamic, yeah, I just felt so empty yeah. and so alone. Yeah, it was just words at the yeah. time. Like words from familiar faces, but exactly. it, it didn't have what you needed. Yeah. And so, not that maybe even you knew what you needed, you know what I mean? It's like, who does? So so you are in that moment and what is the time frame of that to this um, moment in the hospital? So uh, let's see. When Pops passed, I was still I was I was a uh, sous chef at a uh, at a retirement home at that point in time. You know, I was still, you know, the culinary field. And I was the sous chef to the executive chef. And, you know, we were, I was kind of on autopilot. And I let them know, like, yo, I need some time, man. My pops just passed away. And I, I'm, I'm the only child. You know, there's nobody else to do, you know, take care of the, the arrangements. Right. So they were cool with everything initially. And, um, after my, they gave me a week, and I was like, "Cool." I thought mm-hmm. I would be able to get everything mm-hmm. done. Yeah. I let them know, like, "Yo, I need a little more time because you know things ain't falling in order the way I thought they would." So they was like, "All right, cool." And then, and uh, the this is week two after um, him passing away, I received a severance letter, mm-hmm. letting me know that you know they're releasing me, and you know. They give their condolences and this, that, and the third. And I'm like, hold up. Wow. <laughs> I'm, I just told you, you know, what, wow. what I'm going through. And so I get I get my separation letter. So that Damn. was another weight because, like I said, I'm recently engaged. I'm trying to do the whole, yeah. you know, provider thing. Right. So uh, I'm like, all right. Uh, later on that week, is when the financial aspect of everything started taking a toll. You know, these these policies ain't coming through with the speed that we need them to come through to take care of the funeral arrangements and all of this, yeah. that. And yeah. So um, we get to um, we get to the funeral, and I'm navigating. I'm just floating 
through life. This is three weeks later um, when we get to the funeral. Yeah. Um, I have, we have the funeral. We go through everything. You know, we put them in the, you know, he's in a crib with my mom. And when they, when they put that, that slab on that crib with my mom, I kind of lost it. Like I went numb. I, I didn't have any more connection to reality. And I had no, um, no sense of direction. So, um, and I, I tried to be as human as possible and yeah. continue to navigate life and engage with my family. But it was just like a shell of myself. And then the voices kicked in and um, I started because I had, like I said, this is my my second suicide attempt. My first one failed because um, I, I I did it the same way, but I did it more strategically. The first one failed because I took a whole bunch of pills and I got caught, and I and I got my stomach pumped. So I didn't even, you know, it wasn't even. I didn't even have a chance for it to work. Yeah. This time around. I did it slowly and I did it methodically. And mm. I every day I took a substantial amount of pills that would cause myself to slowly slip away. Well, the unfortunate thing about it is my life force refused to let me go. <laughs> my, my, you did you know say fortunate, right? Fortunate. Fortunate. Now it's fortunate. Now it's fortunate. Now. Okay. That's that's what we're gonna speak, then, we're gonna speak that way. Fortunate. Right. Yeah. Fortunately, speaking from this point, you know, grateful through like grateful to God. Yeah. Um, you know, that thing, that spiritual arresting of me mm. was like, nah, you ain't gonna no matter what you try to do, we ain't yeah. gonna let that happen. Yeah. So um it was literally a month. Um, after my, my pops passed that I ended up um, causing my internal organs and internal bleeding. My internal organs are shut down and start having internal bleeding. So I was hemorrhaging from the inside. And um, to give you perspective of, of, of what happened, um, that, that Monday, um, I started violently vomiting blood and passing blood through the rectum. Um, and that week I lost, uh, 20 pounds, um, just from expelling all of my everything. Um, so the wife, uh, she kept running me to the ER and they kept sending me home. They were, they were like, oh, you're just dehydrated. You're just dehydrated. So they, they sent me home twice. And the third time... (laughs) What, what hospital is this? It was it was actually UCI out in Orange County. UCI, yeah. Shame on UCI. Yeah, it was it was Shame. crazy. I mean, I get it. You know, you were doing it methodically. It probably was hard to see. Obviously, you're not really like telling them. No, you know, not you're not you're not being you know forthcoming about what's really going on. <laughs> but man, yeah. you dealing with them? They just sending you home like, yeah. hey, let's <laughs> get a bottle of signing. You be all right. It was crazy because they like. I 
I was so intent on checking out. Like I have, because of life, I have this insatiable, insatiable desire to control everything, like I said. So I would not use the restroom when I was there and I would not vomit. So they couldn't see the blood, you know, leaving my body. I would just hold it, you know. I would just sit there and be, you know, and just perspiring profusely, just in pain, right? And they'll be like, we don't know what's wrong with them. They drew blood and they were this, that, and the other, and they couldn't figure out anything. And the third time, my wife was like, look, I already looked it up. If you send him home again and he dies, it's on your hands. So they admitted me. And they just started running. They just started running. Well, a good thing, right? A she, man who finded the wife finded the good thing. I promise you, she saved my life. And I, I told her that when we first got together. You know what I'm saying? I told her, you know, you, you're the reason I'm still here, not because of the suicide attempt, but because when I met her, she was no nonsense. She was like, ah, uh, she wasn't feeling the thug and feeling all of that. So it was like, do I want a wife? I don't want these streets. Yeah, you know what yeah. I'm saying. So I immediately, choose. right? I immediately started. You gotta choose. I immediately started looking at my life in a different way because of her, and yet again, she came through in a clutch. And um, that was like I said, it was a month after. So January, no February. I think it was February 11th. Is when I checked into the hospital right before Valentine's Day. You was trying to leave on Black History Month? Shame on you. I know, right? It was Shame so, it you. was so, I was checked out. Cass, you like checked said, out. Like you, <laughs> anybody listening is like, that's what you pick out, not about his wife or his kid. <laughs> I mean, that's obvious. That's obvious. The man said at that moment when they put the slab up, he just got numb to everything. So he's, I get it. You're not thinking, man, what about my wife? Man, right. what's this going to do to you're you're done. Yeah, you're done. I had no. It ain't about nothing. anybody else. It's just like I'm out. I had I wow. I lost all motivation. Um, yeah. It, like if I I probably wouldn't have gone as far as I did if my job didn't let me go so quick. Um, you know, I had intention to just continue to just be numb through life. You know, because I understood the responsibility of my wife. You know, my new fiance. You know, I had, I had a, uh, at that time, she was four, she was four-year-old. Um, you know, I, I I knew the the role that I had to play. But, man, like, you know, as a man, when you can't provide, you, you just kind of, it's, it's, it's like it chips away at that ego. And you just lose a little bit more of yourself. So I literally, I was just like, bro, I ain't got nothing. I can't, I can't produce no funds legally. I can't, you know, <laughs> you know, I can't right. do everything yeah, yeah. that I, my intentions were set on. So I was like, man, I ain't got nothing left. You know, mom's gone, pop's gone, all my grandparents is gone. I only got, at that point in time, I had, you know, three uncles and two aunts left on, between both sides of my family. You know what I'm saying? Like, death, wow. death had been riddling me. And I was just like, yeah. bruh, throw my hands up. Yeah. I'm like, ah. Like, you, you win. You win. <laughs> yeah. Right, <laughs> you win life. You win. Yeah. So, to to someone like myself and maybe other people listening, to hear someone uh, describe this space that you were in, right? It it would come across like 
there were there were lows already that led up to this. Like maybe you weren't somehow in the best place. Mm. And then this happened because it feels like maybe you could have rebounded a little easier. But like you said, you feeling like, yo, life is just, it's winning. So 11 years before that, mom's gone. Yeah. Right? Prior to mom going, how's life? Are you still in the streets during those times? Are there issues between you and mom and dad and you left the house? Like, what, what is what is that time like? So right before mom's um passed i was i was still running the street still you know gang affiliated you know what i'm saying i was i was still doing everything in my power to be um be that be that guy you know i i, I was i don't know I, I haven't listened to the podcast so i don't know the temperature of you know vernacular and everything like that. So I'm oh, like, you good. Say what you gotta okay. say. Okay. So I was you know I was that nigga. This is the new truth social. Okay. This is the new truth social. Respect. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was that nigga in the in the in the hood. You know what I'm saying? You know gotcha, when gotcha. I was when I was moving, you you know, people knew who I was. And I'll just leave it at mm. that. Um so yeah. life wasn't necessarily bad, but life wasn't good. And what I mean by that was me and moms had a strained relationship. Um, I'm, I'm a mama's boy, you know what I'm saying, and uh, it's it's a it's a weird relationship. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I'll try to go as fast as I can to to make it to tie everything together and make it make sense. Um, life started out pretty pretty crappy. Um, when I was a junior in high school, I got with with a female that she didn't approve of. She was like, nah, we, we ain't about that. She's not healthy for you, this, that, and the third. Me, I'm just like, this enough, you know, I'm 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 doing my life. I'm I'm living my life. Um yeah. when um how can I put it? She in 1999, um, had a blood transfusion that caused her to contract HIV. Um, it was right when the HIV-AIDS epidemic was kind of like touching the world. Like where, you know, it was after Easy e and all of that stuff, but it was when it became not just um, a needle disease. It was like, you know, you get AIDS yeah. through sex and all of that, so it was just it was become it was booming, and come to find out, somebody who wasn't tested donated you know blood, um, and oh. she got the tainted transfusion blood. Oh. So um, that's how she ended up contracting HIV, and they hid it from me because they knew I was Looney Tunes. So um, her life took a, a traumatic shift. Like she got hella sick. She was able to yeah. live through it and manage it, but she wasn't my mom's no more. Now she wasn't the mom's that I knew prior to that. Yeah. Um, side yeah. side note: um, Moms dealt with uh, what was will be the best um, um, the best way to put the clinical diagnosis of it will be. Um, 
manic depression. Hmm. So mom's was manic depression. She dealt with manic wow. depression. And right. And then yeah. she also was bulimic. She had, you know, she struggled with body dysmorphia. So um what ended up happening was she blew her kidneys out from from um purging. Yeah, was is that the right word? When, you know, you just um you force yourself to vomit. Um, oh, what is that called? Not purge. I can't remember the, the term that they use, but she would do that. We would go out, we would eat, and you know, she would be the social butterfly, yada, yada, yada. She, she blew her kidneys out to where she ended up having to be on dialysis from doing that. And so, because, and that was due to the bulimia. She was trying to get skinny, and she none of the other things was working. So she was like, I'm just going to vomit everything. And you know, she ended up getting really sick, ended up having to get on dialysis, and that's when the blood, blood transfusion happened. That's when HIV was contracted, so on and so forth. So when I tell you the life, my life was 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 shitty, man. It was it was it was pretty 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 shitty. That's right. <laughs> and, you know, and that was and, and you're right. It is called it is called purging. Purging, yeah. So I was yeah, like, yeah. So I'm making sure you're using the right thing. So right. she um. That's how she ended up contracting HIV. So because she was already manic depressant, dealing with bulimia, our relationship was strained because she was dealing with her her life. And then I feel like I'm jumping ahead of your questions and I'm trying not to. Well, it's all good. It's all good. Let it flow. <laughs> you good? You good? So if we, if we go back a few years prior to that, um, like I said, I was 99. Um, my mom's worked several jobs and when she was working for, um, um, it was a city national bank. She, um, was working her way up the ladder and she had a cool friend and at the age of seven, um, that friend decided to start molesting me so from the age of seven to ten i was um molested regularly by the friend it was a female um and i expressed yo your mom's yo this this friend of yours is doing this no she's not i mean why would you even say that that you know she would never do anything like that she had two kids of her own she was like why would she do that to you when she got babies the same age as you and ooh, wham? So in my mind, I'm like, okay, so I'm crazy. This is really not happening then. So I must be imagining this. Right. And, of course you're gonna believe mom. Right. Especially you're a mama's boy, you still young, it's like, okay, well. I'm beyond impressionable, yes, man. And I'm in, I'm influenced by her love, what I thought was her love. Yeah. Um yeah. and she she convinced me that I, I didn't know what the hell I was talking about. So that went on for three years and it stopped because my dad noticed me changing. So, hmm. you know, he pried it out of me. That friendship ended up becoming very strained and eventually it was severed between my mom's and her because of my dad. Um, you know, my dad, you know, basically saved my childhood in essence with that 
So that is why I said me and mom's relationship dynamic was strained because she uh, she never knew how to properly address that for the rest of her life on this world in this world with me. So everything was always a push pull with her. So when she ended up contracting the HIV, she became even more distant from me. And I'm like, I want to love with you, mom. Like I want to be. You know, I want to be with you, and she had no clue how to how to navigate that. So, um, moms ends up um, getting sick, uh, and she ends up going to the doctor, and the doctor gives her um, some Benadryl, medically, you know, medical. The, not the over-the-counter Benadryl, like the prescription-based yeah, yeah. Benadryl. Bad allergic reaction. Blows up like a balloon. Um, oh. Yeah, like horrible. Oh, like man. she blew up like a balloon. Um, and they end up doing everything they can to kind of re- re- release the swelling. So when the swelling ended up, when the swelling began to subside, her skin began to crack all over her body. And she oh. ended up having um, legions all over her body, which ended up becoming um, infected with septic. So she ended up contracting sepsis, goes into septic shock, and we have to rush her to the hospital and she goes into a coma. So uh, this is at the age of 17 that all of this is happening with moms. So I'm a sen- I'm a senior in high school. Moms uh, goes into the hospital with a coma. And I'm like, all right, what the hell? So she goes into the hospital um, February of uh, 2003. They let us know that ain't nothing she could do, nothing they can do. She's basically uh, brain dead. And I'm like, the hell out of here with that. She makes a, a turn and oh, wow. All right. She makes a turn and she comes out of the coma. So they're like, cool. We're just gonna nurse her, this, that, and the third. We're gonna monitor her. Um they put her on a feeding tube and everything like that. And then February, uh, I mean uh, March, March first, they were like, Okay, cool, we're gonna remove the feeding tube and this, that, and the other. My dad is happy because my dad's birthday is March 5th. So she ends up making it to his birthday. They're having a great, you know, birthday together, and she's coherent. And then uh, March March 7th, 03, she just checks out. They, They don't know, you know, they don't know what, why, why she came out of the coma. They don't know why, you know, her body did what it did to where she was starting to heal and recover. Um, but that that uh, March seventh that night, um, she was she just kept telling me, you know, go home, baby, go home, go home and get some rest. I was up at the hospital, you know, every day. Like I, I slept up there, and she was like, go home, go home. You know, I'm alright, I'm good. You know, I'm be here with your dad and another. So I, I fought it the whole night. It was I didn't leave until you know three o'clock that morning. I remember it vividly. Um, I drive home, 
Um, shouldn't have been doing that, but you know, it is what it is. I'm 17, doing my own thing. <laughs> so I get home and then I'll go to sleep. And my dad, um, I wake up, I'm getting dressed to go to the hospital, get back up there. And when I open the door, my dad's walking up the, walking up the porch, just like a ghost. Um, and I see my aunt, my aunt come out, like she's coming out of her car. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, where's your car at? You know what I'm saying? And he don't he say nothing. Yeah, he say nothing. And then my aunt tells me what happened. And, you know, she she told my dad that she was tired and was ready to go. And she checked out that night. So. And this is the beginning of your senior year in high school. Yep. Well, the second, the, like, the, my culmination of my senior year um this was my um, i'm getting ready to graduate you know what I'm oh saying? yeah it's March. yeah yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so uh wow. at that point i'm like you know i got three months left of school you know what the hell i'm supposed to do um yeah. you know i ended up you know i ended up finishing and everything but you know my my, my guidance counselor was really supportive and did everything she could to make sure that I had, you know, the last couple of years, I mean, last couple of months. Um, it was it was rough for the for the cats at school though. <laughs> um, all of that anger came out. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, you so, had to find somewhere or someone to take it out on. Yeah. So it was it was rough, man. Um, and that's that started that portion of my violent life um you know yeah. I, I felt again that that control that i speak of that control that i i never could i could i could not stop that from happening you know i blame myself yeah. you know for years like um that that helped that her death created my um separation anxiety but my ability to disassociate myself from reality because even though um, uh, I forgot what the clinical they called me it was, it was it, it's something disassociation. I can't remember because I've, I've moved past it so so far. But um, I you talking. Hmm? I said I know what you're talking about too. Yeah, like you just I disassociate myself from disassociated myself from reality. Um, I didn't yeah. acknowledge my mom's death for two years after she was gone. I would just tell myself she was at work, she was, you know, at the store, um, uh, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, when I finally got into therapy, you know, they, they they helped me to utter the words, my mom is is, is no longer alive. Because I never said it. Even at her funeral, you know, I didn't I didn't go I didn't do the casket thing. You know, it was just like, you know, I didn't I didn't go to the um the wake, you know what I'm saying? I didn't do none of that. I didn't want I didn't want to be associated with her not being there. Yeah, you didn't want um confirmation. Yeah, yeah. You, didn't, you didn't you didn't want confirmation. You don't you almost like didn't even want the closure because you know closure is in that like okay it is done. But you yeah. you like you said you'd rather I'm gonna just leave it. And I get that. I think everybody gets that. Uh, it, it, it is called dissociative identity disorder. 
That's um, what it is. <laughs> and uh, man, and I I could imagine who doesn't who who doesn't feel that, especially for a, a close close relative, your mother, the the, the closest. Even even kids that have a better relationship with their dad, still, mom mm-hmm. will always have a spot that nobody yep. else can fill, and and, yep. and that's that. And uh, man, that that it, and to hear you say you, you know, it took you a long time till you got into therapy to like say the words. Like makes me think about when I lost my brother. I lost my brother sixteen. I was sixteen. Uh, he had just turned 18 or 19 um, in August. My birthday's in December. Uh, I found out he passed on during my 16th birthday party. Right? Wow. During the party. They they came and told me. That I'm 16. I didn't move to wow. LA until I was like 20. It wasn't wow. until I was 20. No, it wasn't even then. It wasn't until my second place. So it was probably like 24 that I wow. finally... Laying in my bed, I was talking to my brother, and I finally started saying, you died. Wow. You died. And and I, I remember it to this day, because I remember just laying there in my bed in the middle of the day, crying, and, and, and saying it. Like, I just kept saying it, kept saying it, kept saying it. And it felt weird to keep saying it, but it felt like, I have to say this. You know what I mean? Right. I have to. Right. I have to get over this. Yeah. And so to know you were pretty much in the same thing. Yeah, I had I I can completely relate to that. I I had to acknowledge my frustration with it, my denial of it, and my acknowledgement that it wouldn't change. In that in that singular moment, and it was by far the most crippling, um, you know, thing I've ever had to deal with prior to my father. Um, yeah. You know, it was because I'm I'm a kid. Um, you know, I was 17 when it happened. I'm 19 when I'm when I'm addressing it, and I'm supposed to be able to manage everything that comes along with it. I'm like, I'm not even an adult yet, bro. Like, you know, by standard, by, you know, I'm not, I'm a year past 18, but that's not no adult. <laughs> you know, I still have teen attached to my years, so. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it was, it was, it was hard to, wow, to man. do that. Um, wow. That's, wow. Yeah. Wow, that's painful. That's and I, and you know, and, and a lot of it, a lot of it, the denial of it was because I had, like you said, um, in the moment of everything happening, I had no closure on anything. Like, mom, we never addressed anything prior to that. Um, you know, the biggest thing was the molestation aspect of it, but my mom didn't know how to express love, so. Um, her way of motivation was tearing me down to prove her wrong. You know, you're never going to accomplish that. You're never going to be good enough at this. You're never going to be, you know, 
um, you're never going to achieve this or, you know, you're never going to accomplish that. That's yeah. how she would motivate me to do things. And in the moment, I'm like, man, you know, F you. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to prove you. Yeah. But the yeah. further, the, the, the older I got and the more I cherished and started looking at the dynamic of a relationship, I'm like, bro, you know, I don't want to prove my mama wrong. You know, my mama's supposed to be right. right. Like, you're supposed yeah. to be the, 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 the goal. Like, you're the mark that I'm trying to reach. You know, not not the the not the bump or the mountain I'm trying to overcome. So right, you know, I right. ended up um, I ended up dealing with the the fear of success. Um, that's this is something that I I you know was uh, privy to with learning through my counseling and my therapy. Um, I I associated success with failure. You know, because of how my mom structures success. You know, I oh. have to. You know, when I when I'm successful, I'm proving her wrong, which means that she's a failure in what she attempted. And then now I got this again that that I um, dissociative dissociative identity syndrome going on, where one part of me wants to be great, and then the other part of me is like, don't make your mom look like a a fool. So I'm constantly pushing and pulling whenever I'm going through life or prior to now, whenever I was going through life with completion, you know, I would, I would get to the, I would get to the threshold of, of a victory and I stop because mom's just standing there and it's like, I got a mush in the face to win. And I'm like, nah, bro, I can't do that. <laughs> it's, it's, it was, it's complex, man. It was, it was a lot. Yeah. It, was, it was a lot. That's a history, bro. That, I know out of, uh, all of that has to lead to such an appreciation for life now, such a such an awakening and like this this abundant love and zest for every moment to have to have gone through such pivotal moments, such painful moments, and to still be here, to still be able to tell your story. I I know there has to be like. You know, the, the, as they say, like the flowers are a little sweeter, the sky's a little brighter, the birds chirping is a little louder. Yeah, it, it, it is. It is because you know, um, you know, when I my life started out from you know started out marked with death. Um, I had a brother and a sister before me who who only lived a few hours of life after birth, um, oh. and I was was stillborn when I was when I came into this world. They had to have an emergency C section and resuscitate me. Um oh. so now after all of you know the you know being shot, being stabbed, you know, um, I was shot in the leg, shot in the head, stabbed, um, you know, all through, you know, gang violence and everything like that. Multiple suicide attempts and then Seeing what God was able to do through all of that, like you said, when I when I wake up every day, the the gratitude I have for that is 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 incomparable. You know, I can't put it in the words, even though I try, um, yeah. because my faith walk with you know with the Most High is a reflection of His 
ability to find worth in me because if he didn't, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have that next breath, you know? So I appreciate every, every breath, you know, every little nuance of life that we take for granted. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like with everything that I've been through, like I've, I've fought so hard to be where I am today. Um, you know, to, to get to this point, like I'm, I'm, I'm legally blind. Um, I, like I told you when we were when we was getting to this point, I just recently had, you know, an amputation due to oh, medical yeah. malpractice. You know yeah, what I'm yeah. saying? I get up every, mm, not every single day. I've had to s- scale back, but you know, because of my, you know, I don't want to put too much trauma and damage on my foot. But I was getting up in my rehabilitation and getting up and walking a mile a day. You know, after yeah. after my application, just to push. You know, they yeah. told me I'll never be able to run again. I can run a, a football field now. You know what I'm saying? And it's you a fighter, man. You know, and that's that's how I've been. <laughs> you a fighter? You know, I have no other yeah, way. You've been a fighter from the beginning. That's my point. You know, so when you said yeah. when you asked that question, that's what I what I my gratitude is based on. Um, you know, I had to. I had to learn how to not see things through the the lens of of of, of trauma, but triumph. Um, yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. That that's where these things have have grown and 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 developed and flourished from its infancy to now. You know, mm. when I when I had that that juvenile mind set. I would see, always see things through that tra- you know that traumatized lens. Now, since I've I've matured and I've grown, I look at you know my my recent amputation and my visual impairment as things that are reference points to those who are now about to embark upon that and be like, yo, look, it might be traumatizing right now, but if you put forth that. Mm, that not even that effort, just that internal push and drive and desire inside, you can go past where they gave you limitations. You right. don't you don't have to be that limitation that they put on you. Because yeah, you know, when I when I lost my sight, like I can see you now on this little bitty screen. It ain't the clearest, but I can see right. you, right? When I lost my yeah. vision, I only had twenty percent of my vision. After, oh. after you know, everything went out. And now I've reversed that. And it's not 80% loss and, you know, 20% here. I'm almost back to 80% vision and only 20% lost. You know what I'm saying? I, I may only got nine toes, <laughs> but I'm standing nine toes down, as they say, you know, on, on what I believe to be true. And, and that's God is my foundation. And he's what... I can lean on and what I know to be my sustaining and sovereign source through life. So, you know, everything, you know, when I'm able to look up and see the clouds pushing through the sky, when we just, we just went through, you know, Hurricane Hillary, I'm able to open my, open my blinds and look out and see the rain hitting the, hitting the, the, the windows. It's like, yeah, it's traumatic right now, but I can see that. In this chaos, yeah. I can I can see it. Yeah, can I can stand it. up yeah. and I can walk through mm. it. Mm. You know, mm. so that, get your that, Marvin Sapple. You know what I'm saying? Never That's what I'm saying. I, I wouldn't. Mm. 
that that was literally that was my anthem after wow. my mom passed, bro. Like I had to when I well when I was going through all of my therapy and my counseling sessions, I had to remember who was always there, and it was him. Yeah, you yeah. know when I was getting molested, you know what I'm saying when I was crying as a little kid. He was the one who stopped it before it went too far. You know, that's yeah. that thing, looking at it through through the triumphant lens versus the traumatic lens. When I got yeah. shot in the head, you know what I'm saying? He was the reason the bullet didn't go through my skull and just skipped across it. You know, I'm, I'm yeah. bleeding and I'm leaking, but I ain't got a bullet lodged in my brain. That's you know right. what I'm saying? So right. it's all about perspective, man. And and that's where, yeah. I, that's where I've, I've become more for lack of a better term more sufficient in my way of thinking is looking at things through that that triumphant lens you know even right now like sitting right here today on having this conversation it's like I can look at it as a victim or I can look at it as uh, look at it as the victor yeah you know what I'm saying Um, you you definitely are that I mean you've taken You've taken some great losses. You know what I mean? My heart goes out to every loss. And the way that it happened, they were all traumatic losses. They weren't, you know, they they weren't just the, you know, natural course of life feel moments. They, they, even though your your, your father, you know, passed of, I mean, you know, of of natural, you know, causes, but the way that it happened Mm -hmm. changed it. You know what I mean? It's not... It's 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 not the, the 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 normal way that that anyone expects to see their parent leave, yeah. and so yeah, you've taken a lot of great losses, but you are um you know you holding on for them, you know what I mean? I know you look at it like that, like every day, you know that you attempt to be a better dad, a better husband, a better uh, leader, a friend, in whatever capacity you're in, you you are carrying on any of the positivity that they put into you, you know what I mean? Any of the, whether they did it directly or indirectly from watching dad work from watching mom have all those jobs, whatever it was that, that did, you know, instill in your heart, you carrying that on. I try, man. I try. I I don't, I don't see any other option, you know, for myself. Um, And I know that, that, that comes across as, as a, as a, a very like double-edged narrative but yeah it's, it's a true statement not just from being a black man but being a, a believer you know uh, uh yeah, it's absolutely. like i don't you don't you don't walk this walk without the understanding that it's going to be trials and tribulations because that's what you agreed that you signed up for so yeah. i mean i feel uh People have always told me, you know, um, don't look at that, that God never puts more you than you can bear. So literally, literal, literal, I'm like, um, I'll be, I'll be damned if you, if I'm not looking at that literal, I got some of the broadest shoulders I've seen in this world. Um, and I believe he made them that way. I can, I can't even fit in the frame right now. My shoulders are so big and so that I can, you know, I can carry all of the stuff that he put on me. You know, yeah, absolutely. you know, and, absolutely. and, and your bird, like, you know, 
you know me from for years now, and it's like I'm I am that dude that if you need something, I got you. You know, regardless of what it is, if, if literally, yeah, physically, emotionally, you know, financially, whatever that case may be, if I got it, you got it. And yeah. you know, who? How does how does a person that's been through the life that I've been through have that disposition? It ain't me, it's God, yeah. bro. You know, I don't, I don't, yeah. you know, that's not something that I can honestly say is a normal state of mind for a person that's been through the trauma that I've been through. Um, yeah. You know, I don't, I don't see myself as this great person, but um, I know God has put me through what I've been through so that I can appreciate loving people. You know, yeah. I can appreciate yeah. relationships um I am I am what um the I don't know if it's clinical, but I'm a meshed, enmeshed. And that's just somebody like I'm an empath. Um yeah. you know, I my heart and my spirit is connected to those around me. And yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't take that lightly. Um and I didn't know when I was coming up that was a trigger for me why i had so many of the roller coaster outlooks on life and perspectives i had on life i didn't understand why i was so hypersensitive to certain things and certain situations it's just because god is he he's made me to be the person that people lean on and utilize as a as a beacon of hope um oh. you know and i was I think I was on, I can't remember what birthday it was, but I remember that 30, my 32nd birthday, I remember having to acknowledge and accept the fact that my life isn't meant for me. My life is meant for those around me. Mm. And it, it was... It was so freeing for me. It was right. I mean, it was freeing as hell for me because at that point, I was able to stop looking at the duality of my life, the bad that always seemed to come with the good as it being bad. I looked at it as good things happening in the real world. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, reality, yeah. you know, a lot of people, you know, have these blessings. Well, I don't even say blessings, but I'm just going to talk about the world. A lot of times, those moments in life that are just like, oh, euphoric, are they're always accompanied by something negative. You just don't see it. You're not engaged with it. You're not touched by it. But that wasn't my life because I'm so emotionally vulnerable. Whenever I had a good moment, it was always tethered to something that was tragic. You know, every birthday I've had, every um, holiday that I've gone through, it's always something that is a mimic of my enjoyment and and my and my pain. But yeah. at, at age thirty two, and and I, I remember vividly at, at being thirty two because I was like, when I turn thirty three, that's my Jesus year. That's my year that things is going to change. 
And God set that up for me that way because that was literally the year when I got really focused on my walk, you know, and, and producing quality life and and being being a beacon of hope instead of just being the vibrant life of the party, being a loud, yeah. bubbly, teddy bear dude that come in the room. It was, yeah, I'm, yeah. my intention was to change lives. And, you know, I started, I started doing so much more with the foundation of truth. And like I said, my, my testimony versus my ability to just communicate and converse with anybody on any level. Yeah, yeah, you know, because a lot of people can just they can talk and have so many empty words, and my my intention was to every time I engage or interact with somebody, you left changed, you left feeling better than you did before you met me. Hmm. So it, time for the time for the victory lap. So then you go to Le Cordon Bleu. Le Cordon Bleu. Well. What takes you from where you were at to Le Cordon Bleu? Were you always cooking? Were you always chefing it up? And it finally came out. Was it just this new inspiration? What got you there? Nah, my whole life, man, I was right. I could say it. I feel like I'm a country bumpkin. I was raised with my grandma. My, my, my mom and dad was always working multiple jobs. So when I, when I got out of school, I ended up with one of, one of my grandparents. So they always taught me how to be self-sufficient and, you know, cook, you know, do the little basic things. But like a kid, you you know, you, you pay, if you admire something, you pay attention to it. So I learned how to cook from my grandparents and I learned how to be efficient in the kitchen through that. So when I graduated, I had actually, my first job was a, I was a, I managed um, storage facilities and um, one of my, um, one of the the people who rented from there was a chef at at uh, was a chef at a Cordon Bleu. He used uh, the storage facility to put all of his equipment and things like that that he had extra. So he told me, you know, go check it out. So I went and checked it out, and I did a stage, and they were like, "Bro, you you had a natural gift." Uh, stage is um is the culinary world word for interview. It's just an on-the-spot interview. They, they give you a recipe, you cook it, and they, they judge you on it, so on and so forth. Um, I did that to where I ended up getting a scholarship to go there, partial scholarship. Oh. It was cool. Um, Dad was happy because you know, I ain't got to take out all these stupid loans. Um, yeah. Went there, um, did my thing, um, and and I don't say that arrogantly, but I do say that with a sense of confidence and and truth because um, they took three of my recipes that I created and put it into the curriculum after I graduated. So wow. yeah, so that was so, you know what I'm saying. So, so I I went and did my thing in there and and I I put forth such an effort because at that time when I was going to I went to the the they caught on blue in Pasadena, and at that time I was one of three black students in that in the college, um, at, on that entire campus. Um, hmm. One, it wasn't it wasn't because of um, 
any the inequality was they couldn't afford to go there. So you know, all of the black kids was at they was at um, L.A. Trade Tech. Right, I right, looked up, right. you know, like I said, I got a partial scholarship, so I'd have to take out that big money. So yeah. I went in there, and I went in there with the intent to show that we belong. We're not just soul food, you know, kitchen, back kitchen cooks. It. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, we can be it. we can be delicate, too. We can be on that same level. So I went through, and I'm, I'm navigated through both programs. I did patisserie and baking and culinary. Um, and I came out deciding that I wanted to be on the patisserie and baking side more than the culinary side. Oddly enough, I graduated and I ended up working for, uh, I, I did um, several stints with Emeril Lagasse, Wolfgang oh. Puck, and Gordon Ramsay. Um, I ended up being, um, I worked uh, with KJLAs for a while. Um you know, Stevie Wonder put nice. me on for a little while. I did a few few rounds with Stevie Wonder. Nice, um, man. That's incredible. You know what I'm saying? And and through all of that, I'm navigating mom's death, you know, and, and, yeah. and allowing that to be, like you said, that bright side. Like, I have yeah. grieved and, and, and figured out that this is what she wanted for me. So it made it a lot easier to enjoy this this portion of my life. And um, yeah. that that's dope. And that became that story, and everything else kind of just you know snowballed from there. I ended up working at IBM for a while. I know um, I I, w- I helped with the development of um, the the artificial intelligent Watson that they brought out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh I, Watson. Yeah, I, I helped with that for a minute. Wow, that's I, dope. I ended up working with the post office, and I helped get um, Amazon uh, fresh off the ground. Oh. I helped build their um, their navigational networks as far as building their their routes as far as what areas can be serviced in in a timely and efficient manner. Um, we oh. we created that that um, distribution branch and that pipeline from all the way up from um, Seattle to down here. And then, wow. uh, yeah, man. Wow, man. I had a, I have had an wow. interesting journey, bro. <laughs> right. I almost feel like I was going to go further into it, but I almost feel like I need to bring you back so then we can deal with the culinary side. And I only say that because you've given such a dense emotional uh, story from all of your background mm-hmm. that it's already a lot to take in for a great episode. Gotta let that breathe, man. It's too much. Let like. that breathe. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. A story of triumph like none other. Triumph through trauma. Wow. Yeah. Bro, I, I, know, I know a lot about you, but I definitely didn't know all that. So this was actually very eye-opening for me as well. I now understand your heart even more. I understand this loving side, this generosity that you have even more. And it, it all makes sense. It all makes sense. I go, all, all glory be to God, man. Like I, I, yeah. I don't take no credit for it, man. Um, yeah. I'll be, I'll be so transparent right now. Like there's so much that I left out, like the, yeah. you know, the, the pain, the violence, you know, everything that really, 
pinpoints what I meant by that duality of life. Um, that's something that I really feel so strongly about that people should be more sensitive to when they when they when they navigate life that duality the the things that push you further into those good moments are those negative things that we don't acknowledge too often you know what i'm saying those are those those are those realistic moments why i said i don't really do good and bad no more i deal with success and reality you know because you know and I, I appreciate you giving me the platform, man, an opportunity to to express these things. But there's so much that I left out, bro. That you know, it's a three four parter. I ain't. I'm not you, saying you're coming like, back. <laughs> you coming back, my yeah. guy. In case you didn't plan on it, you coming back. Yeah, and I, and and also I want to come back because you said something in the intro that was like, oh, they're not even going to get a touch of that. You said I'm one of the funniest people you know. Yeah, I, oh, yeah. I ain't even. Oh, yeah, we got They ain't even knowing, man. They ain't, they ain't with it. <laughs> they ain't with say, it. And, that, and that's what I mean. It's almost like let let this one exist for what it is, yeah. and then we're gonna yeah. get into. And I'm gonna bring you back to talk to my guy, South Central, so y'all can have that conversation. Yeah. I'm yeah, yeah. You, you gonna be back just to leave the people with something to laugh at? This pretty smile ain't real. These dentures, bro. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I just got these nice things. Oh, my wife looking like, well, I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> I told you I'm as real as they come, fam. Like, I, go. I got two front teeth. That's it. You remember that? That's all I want for Christmas is my two, front. my two front That's teeth. it, bro. I got them. Yeah. <laughs> all right. With that being said, bro, bro, the way we ended out, I say pot is good. You say all the time. I'll say all the time. You say Pod is good. You got me? Got you. All right. Pod is good. All the time. And all the time. Pod is good. Ladies and gentlemen, that has been my guy, bro. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I will see you next time, man. For sure. All love, Cash. Blessings. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is it. That concludes episode 30 of the Pod is Good podcast. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? Trauma, triumph, a, a, a heartfelt. I know some of y'all cried. You probably were sad and you were happy, you were smiling. That's a story. That is an American tale like none other. And I will bring my guy back because there's so much more to my man, Kenny. And we'll get into it. I just didn't want to give y'all like a four hour episode. <laughs> so take that chunk, take it home, digest it. Uh, and uh, we'll see y'all on the next one. My name is Cashmere California. This is the Pod is Good podcast. Pod is good and all the time. Hopefully you learn by now. I will catch y'all on the next one. Peace. <laughs>